0: I always say good morning on the way up here because it feels like it's such a long walk from way back there. and uh, So I'm going to change this out. Jeff, could you take this if you don't mind, please? Thank you so much. I wouldn't drink that, though. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, we're uh, in shock, right? First Thessalonians. Hey, listen, we've uh, we've been covering uh, First Thessalonians. Uh, This is actually the 15th message in 1 Thessalonians. It's five chapters. Today we're going to finish up chapter 5, close out the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at the last six verses. And then we're going to, we're going to actually slide <coughs> gently out of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, most theologians think, and when I say theologians I'm not including myself, it's just some, some things I've read and studied, that 2 Thessalonians could have possibly been written in a short Uh, A time span is three or four weeks after 1 Thessalonians and as long as a few months. But everyone feels that the two letters were written roughly around a month or a few months after one another. And so what we're going to do, it kind of worked out perfectly for us, is that Uh, we've got something planned for the next few weeks. And so when we slide right back into 2 Thessalonians, we're going to anticipate opening 2 Thessalonians under the same type of time frame that the church in Thessalonica would have received uh, 2 Thessalonians in relations to the first letter. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there will be a a brief uh, undertaking of of, of some different scripture uh, in relation to what we're going to be doing over the next three or four weeks, and uh, and then we will slide right back into the study, and uh, we'll try to pick it up with a, a level of, of of fluidity and continuity. We're not without without it becoming too discombobulated, right? Okay. All right. All right listen. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Uh, we had we had looked at the scripture. Uh, started, I, I believe, verse uh, sixteen. We had talked about. Uh, the imperatives that, that uh, the Apostle Paul had given to the church, and 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 these were present imperatives, meaning they were commands that were ongoing. And it started with rejoice always. Remember that we covered that. Rejoice always. Uh, <clears> then <throat> he said pray continually, and then he progressed through that, and he said, and in all things, or in all things, give thanks unto God. Which is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, and then he shifted, he shifted into a a, still a present imperative, which was an ongoing command that had a negative particle, and he said, "Do not quench the spirit." The negative particle implies that they had been quenching the spirit, and so he was basically saying, "Stop quenching the spirit." And he also said, "Do not." There's that negative particle again. Treat prophecy, and this was not a foretelling of uh, of the future, but a foretelling, a declaring of what had already been established through the revelation of God's word. He says, "Do not treat prophecy with contempt, or do not treat prophecy as though it has no value to you." Right? That's what we went over uh, last week. And then he says, but test all things, right? Try it, man. Cross-examine it. Put it under under a cross-examining, almost like a trial, a court type thing. But try all things, holding on to what is good, singular, and rejecting all forms of evil, plural in this sense, multiple forms of evil. And so that's what we covered last week. And so all of a sudden, we're going to slide into these few verses this week, and we're going to read them, and they're going to try to get in this and try to get you out of here before Christmas, (laughs) right? Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23, 28. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, 23, 28, that sounds like five verses. No, it's six verses counting 23, right? My math's there, right? So you can trust me, I can count to six. And this is what the scripture says. Now may the God of peace himself, catch some of this, sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body, right, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says... This, this is important stuff. He's closing this letter. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Watch this transition now. Pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. You know, you get this whole, this whole Italian mob scene going, Right? Godfather, you know these these men. You know a man's man. And Paul was saying, this is a man who's done, done withstood beatings and torture. And Paul was saying, man, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know uh, the the family. You know what I'm talking about. You can you can envision that, right? You know you can envision Al Pacino that whole scene. You no, know, a man kiss. and and you're never looking at it as some feminine expression, right? This is a this is a strength display. And he says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And then he says this, I put you under oath before the Lord. That's pretty stout. That's pretty stout. You know what he's saying? He's literally saying, I'm calling God as a witness that I've made this declaration and God witnesses this. And he says, listen, I put you under oath, you're under oath before the Lord. To have this letter read to all the brothers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Okay, let's pray. Pray for me that I might not fumble my way through this and somehow neutralize uh, the effect of God's Word. I, I, I don't want to do that. I want to be a person who rightfully divides it for the benefit of you. We know this, right? We've, we've already made this. That, that's been established. Okay, let's pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, for the hearer and the speaker, we pray for the power of your spirit to be demonstrated amongst your people as your word is dissected and distributed amongst your hungry children, including me and including everyone that is here. Oh, God, may the appetite of each soul, heart, may it be satisfied in your word, in your presence, through your spirit today today. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said, Amen. 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 Hey, before we even open open up this scripture, let me me say something to you guys about praying for one another. Uh, I want you to pray, continue to pray for uh, Tracy, Mike Denzik and uh, uh, Brandy's mother. Uh, Continue to pray for her. She's currently in the hospital. She's in a really tough spot. And then we, we've got a, a young lady uh, that, that's wow. kin to West Monroe and, and his wife, and uh, uh, she is in a very, very difficult spot. She's going in tomorrow. Uh, for, for surgery and whatnot, and, and she was 15 years old when her mother passed, and now she's facing what they think may be a, a cancer crisis, and her daughter is 15 years old. So there's a lot of things that are uh, uh, accompanying her. There's some fear dynamics, and I told them this morning for the entire Monroe family that we will be praying for them. So ju- just remember to be praying for that family, okay? And when you see on our family page... Prayer request. Take a few seconds. The strength of your prayer prayer isn't measured in the length of your prayer, but the scripture says what? What the fervent prayer, right? Of a righteous man, woman, child, availeth much. Is what the old King James would say, right? You know what I mean? It's powerful and effective. It's what the script, it's what it would translate to. It's powerful and effective. So you have that, and we're actually going to cover that. So I've kind of jumped ahead on you, but I just want to deposit that with you before we even move on. Okay, everybody with me? All right, now let's go into this scripture. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, a lot to be said there. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? All right. Now, I want you to understand sentence structure, phrases, terms... All of these things are important when we begin to understand the Scripture. There is nothing that we just discount and say that it's not, it's not relevant. Everything, everything has significance. And so we can't, we can't necessarily stop on everything and discover the significance of it. Not in 45 minutes. Maybe I can in three hours. But not in the 40, 45, maybe 48 minutes. I might steal from you this morning. But listen, everything is significant. So after we leave here... You may want to go home and open the same scripture and dig for those significant things that I don't have time to dig out for you this morning. But I am going to do some digging. All right? We're going to be casting some dirt this morning. Okay? When the scripture says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now, which is typically an adverb indicating the change in time or circumstances, here is not that. The part of speech is a conjunction. It's actually connecting what was previously said Right? What was previously said. And we just went over everything that was previously said. Right? Those imperatives, those commands. Rejoice always. Right? We went over all that. It's connecting all that about the testing. Holding on to what is good. Rejecting what is evil. It's connecting all that to what is about to follow. Okay? It's a conjunction. It's, it's pulling it together at this moment. Alright? And it says this. The God, this is the important thing. Now, the The God of peace himself. At that moment, we're establishing the worker, the the active one in in this scripture who's going to be accomplishing the things we're about to read. This is an act of God, okay? God himself is the one that's about to bring this about. Listen to what it says. Uh, Listen, understand in this statement that what follows, listen, so you so I can clean it up, will be accomplished with God being the agent of change. Right? Right? But we, God being the agent of change in this Scripture, but we have a responsibility. Listen, we have a responsibility in our response to the agent of change in the exhortations or commands that that Paul had just given them. Now, God is the one that's going to be doing this, but we have a... Now, this is, going to be a, this is going to be a really difficult word for some of my Calvinist brothers and sisters because I'm going to say to you this morning, I'm going to su- suggest to you this morning that we have a partnership in this process that the change agent, that being God, is working in us. We have a partnership in this, oh no, Trent, man, I feel like you've already got on that slippery slope, man, and you're about to start sliding down this whole work salvation thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what the Scripture says about God sanctifying us and our responsibility in this process as sons and daughters of God in response to what He is doing in us. Let's, let's look at this. Let's, let's look at this, okay? The exhortations that Paul had given, that we are responsible to express our heavy things. What are those exhortations? We just rejoice always. Can you do that on your own? No, but the change agent that's at work in us allows this expression to take place. Rejoice always. Pray continually. You do that on your own? Give thanks in all circumstances. Is that something you can do on your own? Do not quench the spirit. Is that something we can do on our own? Do not treat prophecies with content, but test them all. Can we test on our own? And if we can test on our own, what type of testing will be brought about? And what type of conclusions will be rendered at the end of our testing if our testing is done on our own? Hold on to what is good. How do we determine what is good? By testing, how do we test? On our own, of course not. And reject every kind of evil. These are exhortations or commands, listen, that are born out of the sanctifying work of God in our lives. Listen, these works don't, listen, these expressions don't make you sanctified. But God's sanctifying work produces a response in us and through us that correlates with the work that God has done. Meaning this, if God is really doing this work in us and we have a desire to follow God, pursue God, live and express God, then that work that he's done in us will energize and enable us to express these types of things. When you see people rejoicing always and giving thanks in all circumstances, it's because there's an energy in them that produces that that isn't of them. Listen, listen. We were up in New Albany, Indiana. This was just, ai don't know, a week or so ago, right? Leslie, is that right, my sister? All right, she knows we were there. Me and my brother Dwayne. And, and Dwayne and I had gone up to New Albany, Indiana. We kind of got lost a little bit up in New Albany, Indiana. But uh, praise be to God, we had uh, God positioning uh, systems on board our car. And we were able to s- s- circle back around. We found our destination. I acquired what I wanted to acquire. And I was coming home. All right? I'm talking about in circumstances. And uh, I get a phone call from Josh. Yeah, Josh, stand up so everybody knows who I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> All right, I get a phone call from Josh. He serves our country. He's in the Coast Guard. I know what you're thinking. Coast Guard, there's not a coast in Kentucky. Right? Okay. Well, it's broader than that. But my brother calls me, and he says to me, Trent. And I said, hey, hey, what's up, brother? He said, uh, I, I, need, I need a favor. I said, okay, man. He's, and, and I think Josh, he expressed this later, his, his hope was that I could somehow network uh, some assistance to his wife, not necessarily be there myself, but with the hopes that somehow we could pull this together uh, to go on a rescue venture, right? He said, my wife, that being Leslie, stand up, Leslie, so everybody knows what we're talking about, all right? That being Leslie, all right? My wife Leslie is broke down on I-65. And unbeknownst to me, she had her young daughter with her who had a broken foot. Uh, in, 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 in the uh, probably the, 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 the nervousness of, of meeting his wife rescued, Josh uh, thought he told me that his daughter was with her, but he, he had not. So when I pulled up and I saw two, I was like, hey, there's two. All right, all right. <laughs> so, so he says, uh, this is what's happening. Her car is broke down. And you know, you know how to recognize people who aren't from this area. You want me to tell you Why? He said, Trent, her car's broke down between the Clermont-Bardstown exit and Lebanon Junction. (laughs) And I said, is Lebanon Junction close to Lebanon Junction? And he said, she's right there. And and in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, no problem, because I'm coming home from Louisville on I-65 South where she is broke down. I'm 10 minutes away. Tell her Superman is coming. <laughs> and what I should have done, I should have turned the radio full blast to John Williams' Superman theme, rolled the windows down, and slid right in there with a bam, bam, That's what I should have done had I been thinking that. And so I, I give him that information. And my whole thought, if you've been on I-65 north or south, coming through that area, it is so bad and so dangerous when you get into that area that is under construction. It's down to two lanes. They have the concrete barriers. man. I mean, it is, it is a dangerous location. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, please put her in a place where we can navigate safely into that location and navigate safely out where she can be safe. Traffic's crazy. I mean crazy. And we're coming, I'm coming through that, and I'm telling Dwayne, she's going to be up here somewhere, and all of a sudden, right before the, the traffic neck, bottlenecks into this tight, rigid two lanes, there's an opening prior to that that probably gives way to 30 or 40 yards of blacktop behind these large orange barrels, and I spot the victim of circumstances. I spot the white SUV over there, and me and Dwayne, like Bo and Luke Duke, navigate in between the barrels. We slide in there, we pull in there, and we rescue my sister. Right? And she was praising God, right? But you know what was really sweet about all that? She got in the car, and she had been there for two hours. Am I correct? And she got in the car, and for a lady who's been broke down the road for two hours with a daughter in a cast for two hours, now you get broke down in a car with a little girl that's nine years old? Eleven, 11 okay. Eleven's even worse. <laughs> and you're going to need some grace of God. You're going to need some sanctifying power. You're going to need this. But you know what amazed me? was how thankful she was. Not thankful that her car had broken down. Not thankful that she was tied up in traffic for two hours. Not thankful that that whole day had been turned upside down and the inconvenience and the delay and all the. You know what she was? She was thankful in the circumstances for the goodness of God. And it just boiled up in her. And from Lebanon Junction <laughs> to Etam, My sister, you could tell she'd been shut up with a little girl because my sister got her and she got two adults in the car and she was talking. (laughs) Me me and Dwayne, we kind of boring guys anyway. I mean, we're kind of mute, man. We're boring. And so she's talking to them. And I'm telling you, her very presence in the car kind of energized the trip the rest of the way home. Why is that? Because the work in her that God was doing, even in circumstances that were not favorable nor conducive for praise, Praise was still pushing out. You know what I'm talking about? It was in her, man. It was in her. And it was real. So the sanctifying power in God, of God, that's at work in us, should be producing things through us that others are recognizing not to be of us. Right? Listen, listen. Let me say this again. We have a cooperating responsibility with the work of God in our lives. And this isn't my words. This is what the Apostle Paul said. And he says this clearly to the church in Philippians. You know what he says? Listen to this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out, present imperative, work out, your own salvation with fear and trembling that's your responsibility he's telling them work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you sanctifying both to will athalo to give the desire and to work for his good pleasure energio or energize so when the scripture says when we're reading the scripture And it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He's doing a work in you that should be producing something out of you. Let me sum it up and say it like this. Listen, we should be working out what God has worked in. And if we're not working it out, it isn't because God has somehow fumbled the inner work It is because you or I have resisted the inner work is the reason it has become stagnant and unproductive in our lives. Now Thursday, my daughter took me and the rest of our family, me, Kim, uh, Dennis, Derek, Taylor, Kathy, Angie, Carrie, Clark, and (laughs) i All right, we, we, went, we went to a place called uh, Brazarios. Anybody know the Brazarios? The Brazilian steakhouse. Okay, if you're, if you're a vegan, don't go. If you're a vegetarian, wrong restaurant. If you're a carnivore meat eater like me, blessings be to Brazarios. Right? You just bless it and you go in there and you eat till you're full. So we go into this place and they sit us at our table. And they come around. I've never been there good. I had no idea what this place was. I was looking for a buffet. I want some mashed potatoes. Turkey leg. And they sit us at this really nice They I felt completely out of place. I told Carrie, I, I, we were fixing to leave. She said, I said, can I just wear a, a sweatshirt or a pair of jeans? She said, no, no, Trent. She said, wear what you'd wear to church. I said, a sweatshirt a pair of jeans? <laughs> she said, no, no. Uh, uh, take it up a notch. So I put on my good tennis shoes. (laughs) So I go into Rosario's and we're there and we're being seated at this really nice table and at every table placement they bring around this little circular uh, uh, cardboard card. And one side of the card is green. I didn't even read it. I didn't need to read it. The other side of the card is red. I didn't read that either. The card is laid on my table and it's the red side up. And so what the card is for is as they begin to serve you the, the bounty of pleasure, the meat. As they, you turn that red card over and you let the green leave the green side up, and what it's telling the waiter or waitresses who's coming around and cutting the meat—what lamb, steak, uh, a chicken, a pork, whatever it is, whatever they're bringing around. Uh, The green card says to them, feed me. Right? And so what ended up happening, they were bringing my my food around, and man, I had that green card. I was like, yes. You know, not really. But in my heart, I was like, hey, green, green. And so they came around, and and they would slice me off a little something-something. They'd come back around. That green card said, come back, slice me off a little something-something more. And then I ate to them. Till I was full, satisfied. And I left the green card up. And so the waiter would come back around and I'd say, oh no, 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 no. I, and it took a couple of times and I realized I, I need to flip that card over. So I flipped that card over to red. And then when a the waiter came around, he would look down, he saw that red card, and he'd just pass me on up. But other people were still green. Clark Evans. <laughs> he better be green what it costs me. So maybe I'll be eating. And so kept eating. I say that to you to say this to you. That is very much like the work of God in our lives. Simply because I turned the green card over to red didn't mean they had run out of food. It means I was content with where I was at in my consumption while others were still feeding. The food was still available. We were still being approached. The food was being provided but i had my full, my fill. My, I was satisfied, right? And so after a while, initially they came up to me until I flipped my car. And after a while, they just quit coming to me. And so it is with God, as He approaches us, there's a resistance... The sanctifying word that he's wanting to do in our lives, There's, we got a green card out there. We're we are kids of the king. We want to be sanctified. He comes up to us, but the sanctification is taking us into a place that is scary, and we have trepidations, and so we push back on God. And then God comes back around again. The card's green, and he said, you are a child of mine. I want to do this work, and we push back. The fear of going deeper is almost overwhelming to the degree spiritually, maybe even unbeknownst to us, we have subconsciously flipped it over to the red, and we have resisted so many times the deep, sanctified work of grace to the extent that when God comes, we have literally shut Him Completely out. And we wonder why everyone else is being visited. And everyone else is still being fed. And why everyone else is still growing spiritually. And it's because they have never looked at God and turned over the red tab, spiritually speaking. And so I ask you today, are you a red tab or a green tab person? Spiritually. I don't really have to ask. You kind of see it, right? And then he says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, right? And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Now, the question in this scripture is how are we going to be kept blameless? Through the sanctifying work of God. Not only that, listen to what he says. May your whole spirit, Numa, Numa, the spirit, it is the highest, most distinctive aspect of creation in man. It is the life principle imparted by God in creation. The spirit. Because God is spirit. He says to keep you blameless in your spirit. And then soul, which is suke in the Greek, which means the mind, that's where we derive the word psychology. He's saying keep your, what? Your pneuma, your spirit, your suke, your soul. It's where we derive uh, uh, our personalities, our identities, and our soul, if you will. Now dichotomists, those who think that the that men are only made up of of body and soul, would say that the soul and the spirit are so intertwined they're near enough inseparable. And I would almost agree with that. Because the scripture speaks, speaks to that very thing in Hebrews. But what it's actually speaking to is to the power of the word of God in relations to the pneuma and the suke. This is what it says in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Saying, that's how sharp the word of God is. That it can actually separate the thing that is so intertwined with one another at the core of who we are. He says to keep the pneuma and the Suke blameless. But then he goes on and he says this. The body, so much, the physical body. Now listen, you can be a dichotomist and believe in the soul, spirit. You can be a trichotomist, believe in the soul or spirit, soul, and body. You can be, that's not what the scripture is. The scripture isn't trying to give you, give, give you proof of, of whether you're a dichotomist or a trichotomist. The scripture is saying in this portion where Paul's writing to the church, uh, Thessalonica, the scripture is saying this every facet of your being must be redeemed and kept blameless. There is no part of your existence that the work of God isn't necessary. Your spirit, your mind, your soul, your body, all three facets of this trichotomous view needs to be kept blameless, and it can only be kept blameless By God through the sanctifying, setting apart, being made whole. And he says this, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Listen, why? Why kept blameless? Because he's coming back. You know what the scripture is saying? Through the work of God, God is wanting to keep you and me blameless. Why is that? Because we're a bride. And the bridegroom's coming. <laughs> right, right, I, I get a little silly. The bridegroom is coming. And he's coming for a bride that is blameless, right? Without spot or, King James, come on, wrinkle, right? Paul says that, reiterates that. The sanctifying work of God, he's preparing a bride for a bridegroom, right? He's coming back. And there's times in our lives when we may feel like, is he coming back? And Paul addresses this. Because remember the church in Thessalonians? Remember Thessalonica? Man, they were worried, man. They had people dying. They, they were not sure about this second coming. And what did, what did Paul say to them? After he said that he, he's coming back, he says this, He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Right? The, the 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 word faithful in the simplest form means reliable, trustworthy. Now many of you have had experiences where people should have been faithful who were not faithful. You've had fathers who have bailed out on you. Carrie has. We're not faithful. Mars the image of a father in God. Right? You've had mothers who have bailed out on you. You have had husbands who have bailed out on you. You have had wives who have bailed out on you. You have sons or daughters who have bailed out on you. And all of a sudden it scars you. And it warps and and distorts your view of God and, and your ability to depend and trust. Even in God. But in the Greek, in the Greek, the beauty... Of the rendering of this verse puts a greater emphasis on God than it does even the act of God. The rendering in the Greek would call it or say it like this The caller, the caller is faithful, or you're being called by the faithful one. He can be trusted. He's dependable, he's reliable, and then Paul says this, he will surely do it. And remember what Hebrews said, what did it say? And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author, and the perfecter or the finisher, the completer of our faith. He is faithful. The writer of Hebrews said, the God who started this book in your life will close it out. He will come again. He will surely do this. During the Second World War, let me read this to you so I may keep it concise. During the Second World War, World War, the U.S. Army was forced to retreat from the Philippines. If you've done any historical studies on this, you know this to be true. Some of their soldiers were left behind and became prisoners of the Japanese military. The men called themselves Ghosts souls unseen by their nation, and on an infamous baton death march were forced to walk over 70 miles, knowing that those who were slow or weak would be bayoneted by their captors or die from dysentery or lack of water, those who made it through the march spent the next three years in a hellish prisoner of war camp. By early 1945, 513 men were still alive at the Cabana Tuan prison camp. But they were giving up all hope. The U.S. Army was on its way back, but the POWs had heard the frightening news that the prisoners were being executed by their captors. Their wavering hope was, was however, met with one of the most magnificent magnificent rescues of wartime history. In an astonishing feat, 120 United States Army soldiers and 200 Filipino guerrillas outflanked over 8,000 Japanese soldiers to rescue those POWs, those 513 men. Alvin Robbins was one of the rescuers. He describes how he found a prisoner muttering in a darkened corner of his barracks, tears coursing down his face. I thought we had been forgotten, the prisoner said. No, you're not forgotten, Robbins said softly. You're heroes. We've come for you. And often in life, we can start to give up hope, you and I, to feel that God has forgotten us, abandoned us to a dark and hurtful experience whatever it might be. But the cross of Christ reminds us, no, you're not forgotten. And Paul reiterates the words, he will surely do it. And the resurrection gives us the assurance that someday we too will see our rescuer face to face and be liberated from every distress of this life and when he returns we too will hear the one whom we have called upon say to us I've come for you and Paul was trying to instill in this young church do not lose hope He is faithful and he will surely do it. The work that God is doing in your life, he shall complete it upon his return to receive you unto himself, that where he is, you may be also as the bride of Jesus. He's not discarded you. He's not forgotten you. Regardless of what your circumstances are like, regardless of the war that's raging in you, In your heart and in your mind and in your body. He's not forgotten you. He's wanting to do the inner work in all those facets of your person. And then Paul says this. He says, brothers, pray for us. See the shift? He's encouraging them. And then all of a sudden the apostle Paul, the great super apostle... We like to, refer to, we like to view him as such, don't we? Even though he doesn't refer to himself as that, he actually refers to others as being that. But we in church history understand he to be the most significant, or appears to be the most significant writer in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul then elicits, pleads for prayer. What? What? Brothers, pray for us. He's inviting them into an intimate engagement into his life and into the life of who? Of Timothy and Silas, Silvanus. Remember that? These are the three that were writing to him. Remember at the beginning of the letter? Paul, Timothy, Silas, or Sylvanus. He says, pray for us. You see the plural? Not just me, but for us. Do you realize the Apostle Paul writes this letter out of Corinth? When he had left Thessalonica, he had gone to Berea. Remember that? We studied that? Remember that? And after Berea, guess where he went? He went to Athens. And after he went to Athens, he ended up going to Corinth. And in Corinth, he writes this letter to the Thessalonians. You say, well, what's the important thing about that? It's to understand the why behind the pray for us. Do you understand what was happening in the Apostle Paul's life when he was in Corinth? He was under great persecution. He was being dogged at every corner. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 18, 9 and 11, the Lord appears to the Apostle Paul while he's in Corinth. And it gives us a, a view of what was happening in Paul's life when he's writing this letter to them to pray for him. Listen to this. This is the heart of the writer. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And he says to him, a negative particle, do not be afraid or stop being afraid. And then Paul confesses this. Hold on. The Lord says to him, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Even in fear, he kept on speaking. He was speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. (laughs) Man. So when he tells these cats there in Thessalonica, hey, God's faithful. You know where that's born at? <laughs> this cat's having some supernatural things happen in his life. Jesus then showed up and said, hey, I'm with you, man. And so Paul then says to them, he, he's with you all too. You know what that says? We minister out of our own experience with God. We can't take people deeper than the experience that we've had. Paul says, I've experienced the faithfulness of God to this degree. I'm going to extend this to you with assurance that he is faithful. Listen to this, what he says. Listen, keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. I've surrounded you. I got your back. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching him the word of God. And then he writes to the church in Corinth and he gives us this view. He says to them, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. And trembling. This was his condition. I was I was fearful to the extent that God had to address it. I was trembling. While all this was happening, I'm pleading for this young baby church in Thessalonica to pray for me. What happens when we elicit prayer from people who are engaged and sanctified in the presence of God? What happens? Paul says this is what happens. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's gift. You know what Paul was saying? He understood this pray thing. He understood the vision. He sends the word to, the, to this young church born out of three weeks of ministry. And he says to these young people who still need a deep work of God, some sanctifying working of God. And Paul is saying to them, pray for me. Because Paul understands the engagement through prayer and the effectiveness of prayer to the extent that he was pleading. And he said that those fearful words that were accompanied by trembling all of a sudden transitions into a demonstration where his words are being produced by the power of God's Spirit. No wonder he was saying to them, God to energize you. Because he's energized me. Confidence is something that can be. Confidence you. Transferred. Older women teach you, younger women. Older men teach you, younger men. Transfer, the confidence. Right. And then he says this. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Literally just means to fold in the arms, and when he said all the brothers, he meant Jews and Greeks, mature and immature, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, because he knew that Jesus was the connecting fiber amongst this motley crew of people who have become the bride of Jesus. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And then he says this, and we're closing, okay? I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The same letter that Paul thought was so important that he put them under an oath before God to have it read to everyone. This word was so important that I put you under an oath that not one brother, sister, Son, child, anybody, the bride, this is not to be withheld from any of them. And over the last 15 weeks, we navigate through five short chapters to dissect. And understand because we too are being held under the charge of God that this letter be read and declared to each of you. So when we find ourselves going into places of worship where the scripture is not being opened and is not being dissected and is not being foretold and proclaimed, we must guard our steps. Because under oath, we are charged to teach this, to read this, and to preach this. And it isn't just me, it's you. You, dads, you, moms, you, sons, and you, daughters. It is your responsibility, too. And how do we live under such a great call and such a great charge and such a great responsibility? How do we do that? Paul answers that in verse 28, the last verse in chapter, or last verse in 1 Thessalonians. How do we do that? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All of these commands, all of these charges. All of this encouragement, everything that has been shared, he wraps it up at the very end and he says to them, The grace of our, himself, Timothy, Silvanus, Silas, and the church of Thessalonica, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My prayer for you is that as we work and navigate our way through the Scriptures and honor God's Word, we'll have a, a clearer perspective and understanding of the desire of God to do this great work in us not just to do this work, but to empower us. He is not asking anything of us that he's not given us the strength to do. He's not asking us to rejoice always if it didn't provide it. He's not asking us to pray continually if he can't make it happen. Our responsibility today regarding Jesus is to make sure the green tab's always up to not to become satisfied or even discontent in our growth or just stagnant. We are called to be green card people in the presence of Almighty God as He works in our lives. I pray this week, if your card has been turned up red... That sometime this week, maybe today, maybe even now, that decision is being made in your life to turn that thing green. Turn the thing green. And let God expunge the fear and the trepidation and the apprehension, all the unknown factors. Let him expunge all that. And let him begin to do that work in you. And let him be the producer of those expressions of that work. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Father, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we own the responsibility as sons and daughters to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling in accordance to what you have worked in us, this work that you've done in us. So, God, as we go from here, may we be green-tabbed sons and daughters. And, God, may we never red-tabbed you. Oh, God, forgive us. Forgive us when we've allowed fear to produce red tabs. Uncertainty. Forgive us, make us green tab, sons and daughters, green tab, that's who we are. We want to be fed by you that we might produce in like manner, consistent with your character, your spirit, your love, your person. So, Father, I ask you to bless my brothers and sisters. The needs in the body here at TDC are great, and we lay them at your feet. We lay them at your feet. These people who have called us and said, pray for us. They're like Paul, who's wanting and needing to be energized. And so, God, let us be faithful to pray for them fervently, So, Lord, we bless you and we thank you. Go with us, Father, into that world as your representatives in Jesus and the sons and daughters of God in the name of Jesus said amen. Amen. God bless you.